Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number I don't know. So that was helpful. Um, but if you want to know, just look on your phone or however you listen to it, because by then I will have known what it is. Mm -hmm. This is a special podcast, isn't it, sweetheart? Mm -hmm. Who do we have with us? We have Gemma Hartley, author of Fed Up, who we've talked about actually quite a bit on the show because her book came out. What month did it come out, Gemma? It came out in November came out in November. And even before it came out, we were talking about Gemma's book because she wrote the article for Harper's Bazaar called, We Aren't Nags. We're just fed up. Or, yeah. Women aren't nags. Women aren't fed. nags. Yes. Yeah. And so we've been talking about her work for a long time. So we're just so glad to have her on the show and to be able to, so you guys can hear directly from her rather than Todd and I putting to, you know, talking about her work. She can talk about it on her own. So should we, you just introduced her, so we don't need to do no. that. So we've done three full, I don't, I don't think we've ever done three full shows on one specific topic in the way that we have with Gemma's work. I know. Um, aside from maybe like self-care, which is foundational, but that's yeah. like interwoven in every podcast we do. So we've done three podcasts. So if there's somebody listening like, oh, I don't know who Gemma Hartley is and I don't know what Fed Up is, I would encourage them to go back to either podcast number 405, 430, or 440, because we're going to start in the middle. Mm -hmm. We're not going to start. I mean, just for kicks, we'll do two minutes of basic understanding of what emotional labor is and fed up is, but then let's get into it. Yeah. So Gemma, just do like the quick synopsis of what is emotional labor so people can catch up. Yeah. So emotional labor is basically all of the invisible emotional and mental load work that women do to keep things running. And not only women do it, but women definitely carry the bulk of it. So, you know, all of the planning, all of the organizing, all of the, you know, absorbing the emotions of everyone around you um, and sort of keeping your own stuff under wraps. Uh, that's sort of what I would say encompasses it. That's perfect. And you and I were just saying, and we stopped because we wanted to record this, but you were just saying that, first of all, your husband's traveling right now. And second of all, you were talking about things going on at your kid's school. And I replied back that May, the, for, month, the, month, the month of, of May, because this is May right now, this is May, if you're listening way down the line, this is May 2019. At the month of May for moms and some dads too is crazy because of the way school is set up. So just say some of the things that you're doing right now. Yeah, so my husband's out of town for two full weeks right now. Um, he's flying back in on the weekend for my daughter's birthday party. So in, in addition to the regular May stuff, I've got a daughter who has a birthday in two days. So I am planning her birthday party um, all, all on my own here. And uh, there's, you know, Mother's Day, obviously. And that's supposed to be, you know, the day that moms get off. But usually <laughs> it's like the days that mom is planning and organizing and making sure that, you know, everyone gets together for brunch or something. Um, I didn't have to do that this year. My husband took care of all that because nice. he, he gets it now. <laughs> But for many years, it would be like me gathering and making all, all of that stuff happen. Um, you're getting ready for like little graduation parties. I've got like a kindergarten graduation going on. Some people have big kid graduation going on. Um, what else is there in May? Teacher Appreciation Week. That's what I'm in the middle of right now. And we have like a different thing that we do every day at uh, my kid's elementary school. So every day I've got a different project that I'm trying to spearhead with them. And then there's separate stuff for my son's preschool. It's a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I'm guessing if you had to and, uh, and thought about it, you can probably add a hundred more things than what you just said. That are just daily. Yeah, just daily stuff. These are just out of the ordinary stuff. So first thing I thought of is, wow, two full weeks is really, and I don't know how normal that is for for any of the two partners to be gone for two weeks, is that normal in your, just by the nature of what your uh, husband does for a living? So this is usually the longest trip he takes out of the year, um, is this two weeks. Sometimes we've had longer ones. Um, the worst that we've had is he went to China for three weeks when our youngest was six months old. And then all of them got like the flu where they throw up. Mm. <laughs> that was the worst. Um, so we're doing relatively well right now. We're, uh, we've got a lot of extra stuff, but no one's, no one's thrown up yet. You know, one thing I was going to say about um, 
you know, the, the May, the things in May. And like you said, these graduations and things that are going on for your kids, our kids are older, 16, 14 and 11. But I get so anxious around email right now because first of all, all three of my girls are at different schools. And so I'm getting different emails and different, different expectations. And I am so, and I'm going to use the word afraid because it really is how I feel of dropping the ball on something that's so vital. Like you said, this week is teacher appreciation week for us too. And I remember this year we, we managed, I, I wrote myself a note. I told Skylar to help me remember, and we remembered to bring it a flower on Monday. But last year I dropped her off without one. And again, not end of the world. See, this is the interesting thing about this conversation. It's not like the world ends because of it. It just is an indicator of all the things we have to remember. And like, I just was looking at my email and there was an email for Cameron to do this boat trip for eighth graders. Everything is absolutely due tomorrow. And I was like, ah, you know, like these are the things that, and again, this is not, you know, this is not going to be us ganging up on you, Todd. Believe me, it's not. But these are things that aren't even on your mind. No, because you have done this. And until you tell me, and I know a big part of what Gemma writes about and what you talk about is I don't want <laughs> to have to tell you what to do. I think what in a traditional whatever family, the the guys are loving and they're like, oh, well, just tell me what to do. Like, you guys don't want to have to tell us what to do. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah. And what is the language you've been using, Gemma, to explain this this process of, you know, when a partner says, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Why do, is that not effective? So a lot of it is, keeping it on that one partner to keep track of everything. And generally when you're telling someone else to do, when you're delegating out that work, it's still on your mind. So you're still the one that's like, have you done it yet? Mm -hmm. It's still there. So none of that mental load goes away when you say, oh, well, just tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been talking a lot about the concept of help and why men really think they're helping out in the house and women are in charge of the house. Mm -hmm. And that puts all of the responsibility on one person. And so that's really the big issue with like, help sounds really good. It's got a positive connotation. But when you're talking about a shared household, you really need both people sharing that responsibility, not one person who is getting extra credit for helping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're a writer. Um, sweetie, you're a writer. Mm -hmm. I mean... Is it different for, because Kathy is the CEO of the household. My guess is, Gemma, you are too. What if um, you were just a full-time, not just, listen to my language. I'm already catching myself. Just, what yeah. if you were a full-time mom and your job was full-time mom and you didn't do all these? So would it be? So what you're trying to say is yeah. what if you were a full-time mom and you didn't have another line yeah, of Yeah, like is, is the message different for those moms or is it the same because it is a little, and you know, I don't know. I understand your question. I would, what, so Gemma, what do you, do you think there's any difference with a mom who is, who has decided to not work outside the home, but is doing 24 seven in the home? And we all, I, I think I know the answer to what you're going to say, but can you kind of explain to Todd how he can frame this with the men he works with? Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of get to look at this from both angles because I did stay at home uh, before I was writing. Mm. And I think that time was actually a lot harder for me mm. um, than now because I, I have my work to say, you know, I need, I need extra. I need the shared responsibility mm. more because I also have, you know, the writing responsibilities. I work from home. That's a lot. But I think it's really, I, I wouldn't say that the message is different for someone who stays at home. Mm. Because what I'm really talking about is when both people are in the house, both people need to be doing the work. Both people need to be doing the emotional labor. And so that balance is gonna look really different depending on what each person does um, for paid work or non-paid work. But I think that the message is the same, that you know, as much as you can, you're partnering together to make sure that this work gets done. So Gemma, I'm going to, um, what if I think that you're a strong, powerful woman, how would you grade yourself as far as speaking up to your husband when you, uh, when you need something now versus say five years ago or pick whatever, however, like, are you getting better at that? Have you perfected it? Do you still struggle with it? Even though you wrote a book called fed up, how are you, how are you at that? I feel like I'm really good at it now. I didn't used to be. So when I think like 
you know, what do I, what do I want to compare that to? I would say like when our first child was born and when I, you know, was exclusively staying at home with him, um, which only happened for a very short period of time. And then I had to move into doing in-home daycare with him, which was (laughs) so much work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really, I felt this pressure, this cultural pressure that I should be doing everything, that I should be doing all the emotional labor, that it was not only my job, but sort of like in my nature. Mm -hmm. There was something wrong with me if I couldn't do all of this all of the time. And uh, I think that's a really big like mental roadblock for a lot of women is that you think that you're supposed to be able to do this work and that you shouldn't need help. And you shouldn't need a partner who is doing their part. Um, And I just don't think that's true. I think a lot of women have suffered for a really long time with this invisible weight. Yeah. And this, there's this like underlying misogyny that I think creeps up on women. Um, I had a friend who uh, just posted the other day on Facebook. She said, I, she said, I vacillate between feeling so proud that my children can do their own laundry and then feeling so guilty that my children do their own laundry. And again, that's about children and not about partnership, but it's this underlying thing that women contend with, which is when you were raised in and live in a patriarchy, there's messages that are subconscious. And it, it, it is a, it's almost like there's, a, there's kind of a, always a pushing against, like, I know this is good for me, I know this is what I need. And when I'm real clear headed, it's very clear. Um, but sometimes I can get really sucked into just what you said, which is, but it's easier for me to do. I can do this. This is my job. Even though I really don't, I know different, but there is this underlying place where I still struggle with that. I'm, d- did you hear, I know you may experience that yourself, but have you heard that from people when you've gone, you know, done interviews or you've been speaking? Yeah. And I definitely, I have it within myself too. Um, I write a lot in the book about how perfectionism is something that we're culturally conditioned to want as women. So it's not just, you know, the emotional labor that we do that keeps everything running is not enough. We want it to be the absolute best. So, you know, having your kids do their own laundry, that's great. I mean, that gets some of your load off, you've got a little bit more time and space and breathing room, but then you're feeling guilty because you're like, well, I should be doing all of that. Why are they doing that? Um, You know, is it because I'm not a good enough mother, a good enough woman? And I, you know, even I think the most ardent feminists still have that programmed into them because you can't escape the culture that you live in. Yeah, and I used to like hide behind the evolutionary biology of male and female, and I've gotten into arguments with friends of mine, and I've done a little bit of work on this, but I used to be like, no, you know what? I think moms are more nurturing and all that, and a couple of my buddies are like, dude, step back. That is not true at all, and what I realized was in my upbringing, my mom was loving and nurturing, and my dad was a little bit more disconnected, and I kind of misinterpreted that as that that's just the way people are. I assume that you would, I mean, would you agree that, that men can be as nurturing as women can? Yes. And all of the research that I looked at for the book bears that out. It says that, you know, there is no like nurturing gene in women. Mm -hmm. There is no predisposition to be more nurturing. And, um, you know, I definitely fell into that thinking too, that I was supposed to be the more nurturing one. Um, the one that is better with the kids, Mm -hmm. uh, emotionally, stable with them, loving with them. And I, it's still hard for me, but I think my husband's better at that than I am. Mm. I really do. And I think that he always has been. And I really struggled with that when I had my first child. And I also had postpartum depression um, after my first kid, which really amplified that, like, there is something wrong with me because I am not the loving and nurturing one here. Mm. Um, But even when we had our second two children and I was, you know, perfectly fine and didn't have any, you know, mental illness issues, I still felt like, you know, he, he did a better job. He had that nurturing, um, with them in a way that I didn't. And it's not to say that, you know, I'm not nurturing or loving with my kids, but he has like this special touch with them. And Mm. I think it's really you know, it's really wonderful. And I still struggle with it a little bit 
just because I have that in me that says, well, shouldn't I be better at this than him? And I don't think that's true. Absolutely. And what I'm just thinking about, because you are evolved in your own thinking and you, you, you do this research and you write about this and you think about this in your own life, what a beautiful opportunity it's been for your husband to, to fully engage in what sounds like comes very in, innate. It's very innate for him to be nurturing that if we, if we are in a really traditional partnership where we're like, no, this is my thing back away or vice versa, then he doesn't even get that opportunity to use that skill set that he has. You know, this is, this is something that Todd and I talk about all the time with people is this is not just a women's issue. This is, you know, an opportunity for men too. And I know sometimes it gets skewed like women just want more and women are, you know, but men have missed out on such a beautiful part of life, like child raising. Like, does your husband ever comment on that? Like how thankful he is that you're in partnership versus traditional? Yeah, I think, you know, especially during the writing of this book, um, you know, he he lost his job right around the same time that I got my book deal. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, we talked about it and I was like, you know, just hold off for a little while on the job search and I will, you know, I will take over the breadwinning for a little while and you're going to basically do what I did Mm -hmm. um, for a long time with the kids. And it was difficult at first, but he, you know, he does have that really innate nurturing side. And he, I mean, he really did so well with everything in the home, with taking over the emotional labor and, you know, thinking, you know, had this been like 50 years ago, he would never get to fulfill this side of himself. Mm -mm. He would never get to fulfill that emotional side. He would never get to, you know, really engage with his kids or even engage with me, Mm -hmm. to be honest. And I think that's a really big part of, you know, my work and my research is I want to reframe the issue of emotional labor, not so much as a burden, but as this really great opportunity to come closer together, to really have both partners fulfilling their full potential. I think that, you know, we get caught up in this, you know, oh, you know, women, women just want everything done for them. And I don't think that's true or that, you know, we just want to hand over our burden to men. And really the world opens up when both people are doing this work. We get to really live more fully as ourselves. Yeah, it's a healthy, healthier marriage. Uh, as a dad, like you like you said, like, you know, we're missing out if we're not going to connect with our kids until they're old enough to throw a baseball or, you know, I'm just trying to think of some old traditional ideas. But one's interesting, one interesting I thought of when you just said that, and then I'm going to follow it up with a question is, you just described the movie Mr. Mom. Mm-hmm. Michael Keaton loses a job at the auto factory and then Terry. Remember, Gemma's like 10 years younger than us. I know, but have you seen old Mr. Mom? Movie. I haven't, but there's a newer movie, and I now the it's totally escaping me what yeah. it is. Um, I I think yes. um, if you don't know what to do, it's a great family movie, Mr. Mom. It's funny, Michael Keaton's awesome. But here's the question I have: I want to go back. Um, you had postpartum postpartum depression, which I think a lot of that impacts a lot of new moms or whatever. If there's somebody right now listening to this who's going through it right now, I want you to talk to them and and help them and then conversely what would you say to the husband of uh of a, a new mom of a new mom so what do you think oh wow that's a lot <laughs> um it's also it's very it's a long time ago for me and i've i i haven't compartmentalized that part of myself but i've been living outside of it for so long that it's mm-hmm. kind of difficult to go back there. Um, But one thing I think that was really helpful for me is after, um, well, one thing that wasn't helpful, I think, was that my husband didn't really know what to do when I had postpartum depression. I think, uh, you know, I I kept saying that I, I have this thing wrong with me. And he didn't really know what to do with that. He didn't know what the signs were. and he he never encouraged me to go and get help. Um, I was the one that eventually figured out that I had postpartum depression, and it was like a year later. Mm. And he, you know, 
he really struggled with that. He's like, how did I, how did I not know? Because, you know, we were first time parents. He's like, maybe parenting just sucks. <laughs> and like, you know, and that's what I thought too. I thought everyone had been lying to me and that parenthood was just the worst thing. And I was not cut out for it in any way, shape or form. And I experienced a lot of regret in those first months. And then conversely felt so terrible and guilty and full of self-hate because I didn't love it and because I felt moments of regret. Um, And I wish I had known that that was not normal. That was not the way that it was supposed to be. I remember when our daughter was born, our second child, that I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I had no idea this was what it was supposed to be like and feel like and that it wasn't supposed to be like crushing Mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the second time around, because my husband knew that I had my history with postpartum depression, he was, you know, very careful and watching and, you know, nurturing me as well as our child along the way to make sure that I would get help if I needed it. Um, So he did a lot of, you know, just check-ins and he was very gentle about it, um, but wanted to make sure that I got the help that I needed if I did. And, you know, I feel very lucky that I didn't go through it again, but I know that if I had, it would not have been that same experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and just that awareness, like anytime, even though this has become more common to talk about, thankfully, anytime we can get an opportunity to say to a new mom or a friend of a new mom or a partner of a new mom that this is a real thing, like this isn't like sometimes when we're watching, we'll like be like, oh yeah, postpartum depression, but you don't have it because you don't have the exact same symptoms that I read in the book or that really, you know, like I remember for a long time, I just called it baby blues because I, my, my first daughter was born 16 years ago. And even though that was when Brooke Shields, this is way long ago, but that was around the same time Brooke Shields was going through postpartum and she was able to talk about it. She wrote about it. So at least it was a little bit in the culture, but still it was hard for me like you to identify, you know, what's the grieving process of letting go of an old life and transitioning into a new one. Cause that's why I think it happened. And I don't know the stats on this, so I shouldn't say this for sure, but I, I, I think it happens more with a first child because of that grieving process. Your body hasn't gone through it. I'm sure there are people who have experienced with, with second and third also. I want to say that, but um, it can be difficult you know, to recognize what's, what's typical, what's not typical, what necessitates help, what doesn't. And I love that you said your husband just checked in with you, knew it was a thing, and was open-minded to whatever needed to be done. That's the yeah. key. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's true too. I don't know that it happens more with first children, but I think that you can recognize it with a second or third child Good. because Good. you've already, you've either already been through it or you haven't been through it and you know, something is not quite right. Me, I just was like, oh, I've, I've made a mistake. I've done something that, you know, is not good for me and I, I feel like I'm failing. Mm. Yes, that's a much better way to put it. Thank you for correcting that because I really don't know any stats on when it, you know, but just the fact that in the second or third, you can at least differentiate. So that's good. Yeah, you have a point of reference. Yes. Um, so you've been talking, I'm sure, around the country and doing podcast interviews and all that. And I just want to get uh, some feedback from you or some ideas because my guess is, I remember when I first heard about this, I think Kathy forwarded me the Harper's Bazaar mm-hmm, article. I did. And, and my first reaction was one of defensiveness. And to this day, there's still sometimes I'm like, you know, my joke is, I, I remember saying to Kathy a few times when she would be like, you know, you need to step up or, or meet me where I am and all that other stuff. And I would instantly go into defensive mode and then I would compare myself to the way that my dad parented me and how much better I was compared to my dad. And Kathy, at least for me, famously said, guess what, I didn't marry your dad. And that was very um, enlightening for me in that moment. So when you have, da- I assume you've had dads get defensive when you speak or, or online, what, what, if anything, do you say? Or is that our work as guys, like, figure out why you're getting defensive. Like, maybe it's that simple. Well, I mean, I definitely think that's part of it. Like, look inward, see why you're getting defensive. I think that's good for all of us to do whenever we feel that need to defend ourselves um, or to compare ourselves to others. But usually, you know, what I do get that a lot, that men say, you know, look at how far we've come. Like, is this really worth it? Is this worth even talking about? 
um, does it matter? And I think that's a really, you know, effective way that some men try to shut down the conversation and not change and not do any of their own inner work. And I think, you know, what Kathy says is right. Like I didn't marry your dad. Mm -hmm. And I think it's right for people to look for equal partnerships and to expect more than, you know, they were raised with. And I, you know, I write about this a little bit in the book where, you know, I always felt guilty for wanting more from my husband because I would go and I would talk to my grandmother and, you know, she would, me and her would be doing the dishes or like sitting in the garden and my husband would have the kids and be playing with them. And she just could not get over the fact that he would play with our children, Yeah, I, that he would, you know, take them out on a walk so I could, you know, sit with her on the porch and enjoy, you know, some time together. And I was like, wow, you know, it, and it's good to have that perspective and to have gratitude, but I don't think that we should use gratitude as a way to overlook any sort of inequality or oppression. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. The two work, cause I agree with you. I, you know, I hear that from my own mom, you know, like, oh, it's so different. And my brother-in-law is a lot like Todd too, where he's really engaged and Todd's brother is really engaged. So it's this new generation of men who are really engaged Yet the two words that I use with Todd a lot, I think one of them I got from you, or I think maybe both of them I got from you, which is the invisible work, which is there's still stuff you don't see. And then the importance of caring rather than helping, meaning I'll just give examples. We have stairs right here that I'm looking at as we're talking with you and people just hang stuff all over the stairs. Like they're going to, it's going to go up. Something's going to go upstairs. They hang stuff on the stairs. I tend to carry things up every time I go. Nobody else does that. And that might be, maybe I'm being extreme, maybe occasionally, but I'm the one who cares about that. And there is a sense of Todd will throw a shirt there and it just magically disappears back up into his room somewhere. And there is, it's not so much about, it's like goes back to your Harper's Bazaar thing. I don't want to be a nag and be like, or, and I don't believe myself to be one, but to be like, please carry your clothes upstairs. But the, the problem here that we have to understand is the invisible part is that they haven't had to think about these things because these things have always been done. And when I'm saying they, it's, you know, it's not always the same gender, but traditionally, even in his house growing up, somebody did these things. They unloaded the dishwasher, they put, they brought stuff up the stairs and he doesn't even know it's happening. He doesn't even know I'm doing something. He doesn't know that I'm sending all these emails today about school. It's just like poof done. So I think, can you speak about those words invisible and caring? Because I think I got those from you, Gemma. Yeah. So I actually, I really, um, I, one of the things I get a lot of heat for is using the term emotional labor because it was originally coined as an academic term and it applied solely to, you know, the labor force. Okay. And the type of deep acting that one would do in like a customer service driven job. And it had been expanding a lot. And the Harper's Bazaar um, article really brought it to this whole another level where people were talking about emotional labor in the ways of mental load and, you know, this care work that we're doing at home. And I had actually talked to my editor and my agent about using the term invisible labor or mm. invisible care work. Um, and because the article was so big, they thought sticking with emotional labor would be the right choice. Mm -hmm. I still really love the term invisible work, and I sometimes use it uh, interchangeably with emotional labor. So I think, yeah, that invisible load, it's really difficult because people are saying, well, if, it, if it's invisible, does it really exist? Mm -hmm. And now we've got, you know, it's been really interesting to see since my book is published, we've um, seen a couple research um, articles and some studies come out that actually show the gap in the mental load and show the gap in that invisible labor that we do. And so it very much does exist. Uh, but it becomes very easy to then pick that fight of, well, look at how much more I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, there are households, and I think mine was one of them, where Rob and I were really doing about the same amount of work, of the same amount of domestic labor in the household. But I was still the one that was keeping track of everything. Yes. 
And I was also the one doing a lot of the care work throughout the day. Um, and that's by nature of me being home with the kids more hours than he is. Uh, but that's a lot of emotional, you know, weight to be dealing with when you're constantly absorbing the emotions of like a two, four and six year old. Mm -hmm. They've got a lot of big emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's that work as well. Well, and it's funny because I'm going to put on my defensive hat for a second. If it's in, you know, let's just say, you know, Kathy does all this invisible work. If it's invisible, maybe I'm hiding behind it. How am I supposed to know it's there if it's invisible? It's what, what we'll have this, we have this discussion a lot. When we say invisible, what I mean is it's things that get done that you don't even realize someone's doing. So it's things like- So wake up and see what's happening. The acknowledgement, okay, let's just use Gemma's example of she's home with kids who have, who have big emotions. And I agree with you, the age that your kids are, there's a lot of big emotions. There's more like physical emotion, you know, like more tantruming or more breaking down. My kids are now teenagers, so the emotions more are deep talks, staying connected to what's going on, how are you feeling? It's, it's different, but similar. And sometimes that is what absorbs my entire day is the processing of how can I support her? Okay, I heard her. What kind, there's, there's this um, connecting, this is where, it's not just about carrying something up the stairs. It's about, I am thinking about her and how she feels and I'm touching base with her and I'm you know driving her to this place so she can have this discussion or I am, and where you're just, there's a watching from a distance, like how's she doing? Mm -hmm. And really how she's doing is dependent on me paying attention to how she's doing. And, it, and, and it's not a helicopter parenting thing. I don't wanna, you know, this is not me being over-involved. It's that in a relationship, in our relationship with our kids, we have to pay attention to their emotions. And some, like your, your words are beautiful. We absorb it. And then sometimes there's not room then to start writing at 4 p.m. You know, you and I both write and that necessitates a lot of space and creativity. And if you've been absorbing people all day long, that can be kind of a slog to be like, I'm going to sit down and try and clear my mind right now. And these are things that are difficult to understand unless you do it yourself. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think that's the biggest issue with emotional labor, which is why I'm really glad that so many people are having conversations about it now and that it's becoming, you know, more of a topic of conversation in the mainstream is that we're starting to hear other people's stories to see, you know, what it looks like. And it is one of those things that if you're not the one doing it, it's really hard to recognize. And I sometimes wonder what would have happened had my husband not lost his job and had not had those months of really intensely doing the work that I do. Because I think that more than anything, I mean, we've had all these conversations about emotional labor, but conversations can only go so far without actually, you know, physically and emotionally doing the work. And he did so much of it that, you know, that really solved a lot for us because I knew that he could see what I did. Yeah. Yes. I knew that my work was visible to him. And that's a really big part of it is that, you know, invisible labor is hard by the nature of being invisible mm -hmm. because you feel like you aren't seen, you aren't appreciated, you aren't, you know, fully understood in the role that you're taking on. And I think that's really important in a relationship to feel, you know, to feel seen, validated. So yeah. what's weird about, not weird, what's interesting is... As, as sad as it was that your husband lost his job, what an amazing gift that most couples don't mm -hmm. get an opportunity to do because I remember Kathy used to go to Mexico once every 18 months with her girlfriends when her babies were real small. So I would be able to gear up and I knew it was going to be a challenging three days or whatever it was. And um, and I would solicit help from my mom I know his and mom my would sister. Come over. It to, wasn't the same thing. It wasn't the same thing. But but even for three days, it gave me like an indication. Uh, although it wasn't a a clear indication, it gave me a little something. But I think some couples never one. I think sometimes one the dad doesn't <clears throat> offer and say go. And other times the mom says doesn't say I need I, I need to go. So they're just stuck in these same patterns. And it's just, I mean, you kind of got lucky. I never had to do that. Kathy, I, I, I'm, I've been employed by the same company for 25 years, but if I got fired 10, you know, 15 years ago when our daughter was one year old, I'm sure I would have a much deeper appreciation for invisible 
you know, work and emotional labor, um, even to this moment. Well, and that's like, you know, the message that we always hear, like with the young kids, like, you know, the, the dad, or again, I'm being very gender specific, just, I'll just speak to right now, you know, heteronormative, you know, like Todd and I, um, you know, man and a woman couple is the, the, you know, the dad will come home and say, oh, you had a play date today. And then you went to the zoo must've been tough. And you have to have a play date and go to the zoo to understand why that's tough. Because from an outside, it looks, even to moms that I work with who are full-time moms, they'll say, I just wish I could do that all day. And, and I get that, and I understand why they're saying it, but that is work, man. Like, I don't remember really enjoying the animals when I was at the zoo. There is just a lot of, and again, that's just one example. There's a million like that, but there's this outside perspective versus what's really happening in the moment with kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I recently wrote an essay on this. I don't think it's published yet, but it it was sort of about a moment like that where my husband came home and was like, "Oh, you know, we had a sick kid and I was, you know, when he came home, I was sitting on the couch with this child watching a movie because they wanted, you know, to physically be on me, mm-hmm. which also very draining." Yes. But he was like, "Oh, it must have, you know, it must have been nice to like have an at-home day." And he's not saying this in like a mean way or anything, but he's like, oh, that must have been nice to like sit down and relax and enjoy a movie. And I'm like, no, I've been, I I couldn't even find the words to say it, but I'm like, I've been going nonstop. Like I, I noticed the fever, you know, in the middle of the night when they cried out and I knew like at that moment, everything that had to start going on, I have to call and notify the school. I have to get a pediatrician's appointment. I have to do all of these different things on top of what I would regularly do. So it was much more emotionally and mentally draining than a regular day would have been. And And it's one of those things that it is hard. Yeah. And then, I mean, all my writing has to get shoved into the night hours and it's, it's a lot. And I think it's so hard to, you know, recognize what another person is doing and what they're going through, you know, emotionally, unless you've done it yourself. Mm Well, what I think is interesting is if I'm going to talk to the guys that are listening, I feel like I'm sometimes hardwired to take the path of least resistance. So if I know Kathy's going to do it, I'm not going to offer it. Like this is when I'm below the line. This is when I'm, you know, looking through the world through a a place of lack and all that. And um, if, if she doesn't say anything to me, it's just easier for me to let her do it. But what I, as far as I'm still trying to figure out ways to, have guys connect to this message and we talked about it maybe 30 minutes ago it's to our demise it's to it's at our expense that we don't get an opportunity to do this heavy emotional lifting because as dads at least what i want is i want to connect with my kids in in a real way i don't want to just play catch with them in front and do you know 20 minutes of homework with them a, a, a week you know every week or something like that like it it is an opportunity, and um, I think it's just a matter of balancing it out. Well, and it's also good for your partnership. Like the way that you're, I know that you get this, Todd. So it, I'm not, I'm not trying to point a finger at you necessarily, but there's still the way that you're saying it. Like you know, unless Kathy asks for it, I don't right. show up. This is not you helping me, right? Because if if we use the word help, then by nature, then by definition, that means it's my responsibility, and you're showing up to save me. Mm-hmm. That's not, this is just, do you, this is why we call it a visible and caring because do you just notice mm-hmm. what needs to be done and then take care of it rather than Kathy's going to do it. So like Gemma, one thing that I just said to Todd today, because this just happened today is, and I didn't really talk to you about this. I hope this is okay. But Todd has, he does this men's group. He does the tribe and he's, it's growing nationally and it's getting bigger. And he's got this group that he meets with and there's stakeholders and he has this, and he has all these meetings around it. He'll be like, yeah, Friday night stakeholders are meeting and Saturday morning, Frank and I are going to talk about this. And the, and I am like kind of on a book deadline mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't have time to do a Friday night thing. I, I don't even think that way. Like my whole morning was I had to, I got home and everything's been the girls this morning, my kids. And I don't have this space and time to do like he thinks about his work mm. and I'm thinking about the home not all the time like right. I, I I don't want to throw you under the bus because Todd as we always have to backtrack and say he he's amazing it's just that that shift between helping and actually 
seeing that it needs to be done. Well, and real quick, Gemma, what's interesting is one, you're totally right. But secondly, if you said, I'm going to whatever, go away for the weekend, I would 100% support me. And I think a lot of times the moms don't ask for it. And maybe it's our job as guys to say, you go, go do your thing. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Okay. Do therapy for us. Yeah. Help us out. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's a really good idea actually that men sort of push their wives to do self-care because there is, you know, all of that guilt that comes with speaking up and saying, you know, I need this or, you know, God forbid, I want this because moms aren't supposed to have wants. Right. <laughs> we have needs that are to be taken care of. Um, and my husband does that actually a lot for me. If I have gone a long time, I'm better about my self-care now, but for a long time, he really pushed me into it so that I would do it. Um, but back to that point of you know helping versus being responsible, I think you know the work for men is in starting to pay attention to their lives on a really deep level. And that is really fulfilling work to do, but it's also work that as a culture, we've told men not to do. Mm -hmm. We tell them, you know, live on the surface, don't go into your emotions, don't go into that deep place of intimacy. And that is what emotional labor is. It's getting really deep into your life and getting into all of, you know, all of it and being really connected to all of it. And I think that's where it's hard for men is that we live in this culture that tells them to live on the surface. And when we say, you know, do emotional labor, pay attention, take on this responsibility, we're telling them to go deep, yeah. go way beneath that surface, it's way fun. beneath where you're really uncomfortable. And this is an oversimplification of it, but it's almost like, let's say tapping into our emotions is like speaking Russian. So you girls have been speaking Russian your whole life. Fluently. Fluently. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, you want me to be fluent in Russian, mm-hmm. even though I've never took Russian. And you know, this is like a total oversimplification. And it's also me probably trying to win the argument and get defensive and everything else. But it is the truth because that's what I do is I teach men how to tap into their vulnerability and their emotional. And you know, as boys, we paint them in the man box and you got to keep them in the man box. And then all of a sudden they get married and they have kids. They're supposed to soften up and connect. And it's a really foreign place. Can we do it? Of course we can do it. It's just, it takes a lot of practice. Well, as does like, you know, to switch roles, like just like we have to show up in a patriarchal society and speak up and stand up and get pushback and be told and and think about our safety and carry our keys between our fingers. And we've got things like Mm -hmm. that too. And again, it's not about who's got it worse. It's about when you're trying to speak Russian, understand that we're trying to learn Italian. Mm-hmm. Like there's, yeah. there's a crossover here where we're both trying to, to fully embrace both sides of ourselves, masculine and feminine, and, and supporting each other on that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, I like the, the speaking Russian analogy because I think that is really true. It's like, well, you know, our mothers spoke Russian to us and so we learned Russian really quickly. And you've been living in a world where, you know, half the population is speaking Russian, but no one told you you needed to learn it. Right. And so you've been living in a household where someone's speaking Russian all the time, but you've just kind of tuned it out. Mm -hmm. It's time to tune in and start that learning process. And yeah, it'll be slower because, you know, you've had all these years where you haven't paid attention. But that's what it's really about is starting to pay attention and do that work and know that it's going to be slow and that it's going to take time and be frustrating, but it's going to be worth it. Yeah, it's going to be messy. And I want to just just to kind of like call myself out a little bit. I don't do this as much anymore, but actually I'll, I'll, I'll do it just for the sake of this example. Okay. So the Friday night example, I'm supposed to do something with uh, my friend, a business meeting, whatever. And I canceled it. Yeah. What's interesting is that I need to tell her I canceled it so I can show her how committed I am. Another example would be whatever. Let's say Kathy's in charge of cleaning the kitchen all the time, which she's not. We we it's probably not balanced, but I do some of that myself. I used to be like, how about that kitchen? You know, I would, I would want to get it. You said it to me yesterday. You said, look at this drawer. I cleaned this drawer. That was a joke. (laughs) Oh, it was. That was really a joke, but that's what I would have done 10 years ago. And I said, I haven't been in that drawer. So as a guy, I mean, it's, and I talk about the fragile male ego and there's certain men that have completely challenged me on that because they get defensive. But my ego is sometimes so fragile that if you don't acknowledge me, 
like you're my mom acknowledging me for coming home with an A in spelling when I was in fourth grade, then it's not as meaningful. Right. It didn't mean anything. Right. Then. Exactly. Right. So anyways, that's just me, um, you know, holding up a mirror to myself. Yeah, my husband did that a lot. He used to do the, look at how clean this kitchen is. I'm like, do you have any idea how many times I've cleaned that kitchen? Or like when he does, he does all the dishes at night and he still sometimes thinks like, this must be all of the dishes from the whole day. And I'm like, no, I've done them like three times already today. Exactly. And um, you but, know, one more thing that, cause I, you know, I don't know if we're how we're doing. We're 48 okay. minutes in. So one thing on this note, and this is similar to what Todd's saying, because I've had the opportunity to sit with um, him and his tribe, the men that he uh, is with in his tribe. And, and we've talked about emotional labor um, and I've kind of fielded questions. And the, the question I get the most from them, and I think we've gotten it through the show too, is similar to what Todd said about if it's invisible, why does it matter? Or you think it's important to clean the floor, but really it's not important. Or you think it's important to do the dishes three times, but it's not important. And there's this sense of- You worry too much. You worry too much. You're doing too much work. And if you would just stop doing it, you would be okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have heard those things too. And what what is your reply to that, Gemma, when people say that? Yeah. So I have heard this a lot and I heard it even from women as I was writing my book and I hear it from women now that say, just let it go, man. Like it doesn't matter. And I, you know, in some women can do that. They can let it go and they can feel comfortable with that. And when I would hear that message, it would just stress me out and it would make me think, well, this work always has to be on me because I can't live like that because it makes me feel comfortable and secure when everything is done in this way. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't need to do some self-examination and see, you know, what parts of those are coming from that cultural conditioning to, you know, do perfectionism in my life all the time. There are certain things that we can, you know, rearrange and make work in a different way. But usually the women that I was talking to um, who were in the same boat as me, who didn't feel comfortable letting it all go, said, you know, I created this like system of organization. I live my life this way because I pay attention and I know that this is what helps my family. This is the best way of caring for them. And this is how, you know, this is how I connect with them. And this is how I want to do this work. And we tell women who want work done in a certain way that that's their job then. You can't expect someone else to come in here and share that work to make you more comfortable. But I think that's part of a partnership mm-hmm. is that you should be able to meet your partner where it's going to make them comfortable, where it's going to make them feel safe. Um, and that was a big part of this work with Rob. I talk a lot about shared standards and people think that means you know keeping the home a certain way. And it does, but it's also about having a shared standard of how we're going to show up for our lives, how we're going to show up for each other and for our children. And I think it's really about making your partner feel seen, making sure their work feels validated. And I think that's really important. And we overlook that a lot. I agree. And there's this, this ripple effect that is, again, part of the invisible piece of like, let's say doing laundry. I know that if, I, if my girl's laundry isn't done, and sometimes I do it, sometimes they do it, if they don't have socks, if they don't have underwear, that affects a morning, that throws off the morning. If, we, if they come in the kitchen and they're getting themselves cereal and there's no spoons and there's no milk in the fridge, it throws everything off. Everything becomes more challenging, more difficult. And then this is part of the, you know, and again, this is probably true for men and women. I don't, this is not gender specific, but then everything is more chaotic. There's a, there's sometimes a reason like wanting things done a certain way. Like you said, we all need to do the inner work and to see what our version of perfectionism is and where we're just trying to overcompensate. But a lot of times it's not perfectionism. It's just having things in order so things can go as smoothly as possible. And sometimes people don't notice that there's always towels that are clean. And that is because when there's not a towel, you can't take a shower. And that, do you see what I mean? So I know you do, but there's, it, there's a ripple effect to not having a structure. Yeah. And this is something that I, I would hear some women would say, you know, they would boycott 
the emotional labor in their home for a week or two. And what ended up happening, like, yes, their partner would in a way sort of see what wasn't getting done. And that was, you know, their way of doing a wake up call. But it also left them with so much more work when they came back to it. Mm. I never could, you know, work up the courage to do a boycott because I was like, no, that's too much. That's too much stress on me. That's too much, you know, emotional anxiety for me. Uh, because we do, we set up our lives in a way to make others comfortable and to make ourselves comfortable. We also set it up that way, like, you know, you say there's that ripple effect. And what that ripple effect does to us is it takes away our time and our mental space and our emotional energy. Like we set things up to be really efficient because that's how women compensate for not having that time and not having that mental space. That's how we like make room for ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. Do you have, do you have another question? Um, I think I could talk to her all day. This is, I, I just, <laughs> it's just a very interesting topic for me because I, whenever I talk to guys about this, I'm always kind of channel, channeling Kathy or, and it's just so interesting how quickly, um, you know, the guys get defensive about it. And, um, well, and I will say, because we did talk about some more difficult things on here is that I do really appreciate your willingness to have a conversation about this and that it's always an open conversation. This is a very nuanced, mm -hmm. um, discussion and it's an ongoing discussion. And you talk about this a lot in your book, Gemma, you know, that, it, it, it's not like you talk about it once and, oh, we figured it out. Like it changes constantly. It changes what needs to be done, what to care about, what to focus on, how we're partnering on this. Um, and that's something that I think all people need to know is that this, it's just like having a sex talk. Like you can't just have one. This needs to be an ongoing discussion in the home. Would you, would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I get these questions a lot on interviews or podcasts of like, how do we get to 50-50? And I'm like, you don't. Like 50-50 is a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. And like, you can't just say, okay, we're going to split all the domestic work down the middle and then not think about it again because there's an ebb and flow to life. Like you can't do that. You need to be able to grow together, to check in with each other. Like really it's a lot about communication and a lot about paying attention to your life. And so I think it's, you know, it's a lifelong work. Yeah. Um, but I think men, we have to also keep in mind, like men are just starting this work. Yes. Um, so there, there were times when I was writing the book, especially where I was kind of frustrated that my husband wouldn't get it quicker. Mm -hmm. And I also felt this pressure, like I need you to get it quicker because I have to write this book and feel like I have a leg to stand on. Um, but, you know, the work is still ongoing and it's going to go on forever. And I think I finally am, you know, realizing that and I'm okay with that because I know that he's showing up for the work as well. Yeah. And, that you, you know, he'll, he'll encourage me to show up for mine too. Yeah, I feel, Kathy and I just had this discussion. I don't know who we were talking about, but like, you know, we're talking about a couple and like, well, he just wants to win. And guys want to win arguments. And for me, like what a fruitless idea of winning an argument with your wife. And the other phrase that I always think of is intention versus impact. And what I mean by that is you could have the best intention in the world. Uh, honey, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings by ignoring, uh, you know, the kitchen for the last two weeks. Like we hide behind intention so quickly. And for me, I'm always like, what's the impact of whatever these uh, behaviors What's the result? What's the impact? And if the impact is this disconnection between you and your wife or between you and your kids, that should almost be the leader. Like if the impact is a disconnection, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. If you do love your wife, and I hope you do if you're married to her and it's impacting her negatively, you got to figure out a different way. And that's the message that I like to carry to guys. And, you know, even if it's a guy talking to another guy, they, they, they dig their heels in pretty quick. Well, and then what you just said is that even though I'm I'm aware that in this situation you're the one learning Russian, is that that also has to I need to not have to win. And you know, there's this thing of who's doing the most work, who's most busy, and again, depending on the day, that goes back and forth. The recognition it's not about winning and being the one who's most overwhelmed. It's about do you see what I do and why I feel the way I do because that's the work that I think that Todd and I have been able to do over the last 10 years is he really does. It still comes up, as you can tell. We still talk about it all the time. But he was at least able to see, even when he'd come home and things would appear the same or that I was home, 
that it was it you know we're both busy that there was a respect for both sides yeah i think that's really important to have that respect and to have that validation and one thing that um you know todd you were saying that you would clean the kitchen and be like, oh, look how clean the kitchen is. Um, and men feel really comfortable doing that. And they, you know, they're kind of encouraged to say, like, look at what I did, praise me for it. And I don't necessarily think that we need to stop, you know, thanking men for the domestic labor that we do, but men need to start doing that for their wives as well. Um, you know, some people are like, oh, they don't, they don't need brownie points or anything like that. But I think we all kind of need brownie points. And one thing that's changed a lot in our household is how much my husband thanks me for the work that I'm doing, um, for both the work that he can physically like see around the house, like the kitchen is clean and things like that, or the things that he knows I've planned, like planning the vacation or planning this family dinner. Um, and I think that's really important for our kids to see that we're grateful for the work um, each partner is doing. And that kind of reinforces that it's just as important when mom does it as when dad does it. And so that's been a really big change for us is really validating this work for well, both of us well, instead and that's, of for one person. And that's the leverage thing. Like I'm always trying to figure out new ways to motivate the guys. If the guys have daughters, if you want your daughter- Or sons, because this affects them just as even more, don't you think? Well, I'm just saying, I mean, I, it's easier for me to talk about this because I have three daughters. I don't want, if, if I let Kathy do all the work, then my daughters are going to think that this is normal. Mm -hmm. And, and that's it, that it's not normal. I want my daughters, if they're straight and they marry a man, I want them to be in an equal household. But I think us guys are just too busy thinking about our existing situation as opposed to the impact of how it reflects and what conditioning we're doing to our kids. Well, and I will say just because um, I have friends who are in same-sex partnerships, and they say that even in the same-sex partnerships, there is somebody who does, the, you know, and two women who is doing more of the emotional labor, and this is still a tough discussion regardless of gender. But you're right, Todd. Like, this is, we want to, we have daughters, but Gemma, you have sons. You have, or I know you have a son, correct? Yeah, I have two sons and one daughter. Yeah, and so for them to see that from their dad, like it's regardless of gender, this is something partnership by definition, we all need to see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think, you know, it doesn't matter if our kids grow up to be in same-sex relationships or heterosexual relationships because everyone has this tendency to overlook the par the partner's work. Like they have a tendency to overestimate what they are doing and underestimate what the other person is doing. And I think that's why it's an issue across all genders. The only reason that, you know, I talk so much in the gender binary is because we also have this heteronormative cultural conditioning that tells us that women are supposed to be better at this and men are not supposed to look at it, not supposed to, you know, tap into that. And so I think that's the only part where that gender binary comes in, but emotional labor is really everyone's work. Mm. Yes. I think that's a great way to close. So yes. Gemma, how do people buy your book and find you and what's your website and all that good stuff? Um, you can go to GemmaHartley.com. That'll have all the links to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, the book's pretty much everywhere that you can get books. Um, I'm on Facebook at Gemma Hartley Author. And yeah, that's about it. Awesome. And I'm going to do a quick plug. We have something called Team Zen, which is a subscription thing that we have with a handful of our audience. And you're going to come back and talk to our team on June something. Mm -hmm. June yeah, 4th. Gemma's going to do a talk with yeah. our Team Zen um, so she can answer specific questions from our group. Um, so, so, you know, if you're interested in Team Zen, you get another opportunity to talk with Gemma. And Gemma, I just want to say thank you because your um, ability to write about this so clearly and to be able to articulate something that can be difficult. I mean, there, I know we didn't get into it on the show, but I'm sure you've gotten pushback and I'm sure this hasn't been an easy road to take on something like this. But I want to say thank you because you've not only helped Todd and I personally mm -hmm. with finding new language, but then it's rippled out into the shows we've done, into me ta you know, talking with my clients, Todd with his tribe. So just thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a really fun conversation to have. All right, Gemma Hartley, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. 
Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us questions. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen private podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything we offer. Our tagline is zero pressure, 100% support. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. What about my book, sweetie? Just my books. Oh. I want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 Multiversity, nestled in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, send me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but Kathy and I get a small commission from Amazon. And don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th, 2020. Leap into the new year with us. That's right. Leap, sweetie. Uh, And guys, don't forget, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. Uh, So we talk about work-life balance, deepening relationships with loved ones. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You get to choose. First session's free. For more information, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. We're finally reaching out beyond Chicago and are going to have some opportunities virtually. So head on over to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And I'd like to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's a bald-headed beauty, and he can be found on the internet at avidco.net. And lastly, just thanks to all you listeners for listening and keeping us going after all these years. Cannot say thank you enough, and uh, keep trucking. Adios.